You're listening to the Thread Wellbeing Podcast, connecting people from around the globe to share about living from their soul's purpose. In this series, Beyond the Surface, we're joined with panellists from around the globe discussing topics that bring to light social issues that impact all of us. Tonight's panel conversation is around multicultural unity and division with a focus on racism. Yayogonde Bango Yalaganyugarang Bailanga Namar Narte Najangar Bubang Jung Kubing Ede Natamumat Yun Gonde Bango Yerabaja Yalagan Kutagang Yugarang Kabuko Jan Ogonde Bango Yerabaja Yalagamuran um, through the spirit of Mother Earth. That's a, an acknowledgement to the old people, the grandmothers and the grandfathers of all walks, um, understanding that we're speaking good talk. Um, so it's Yelaga Dago, everybody, and uh, that's my language of my grandmother. My great grandmother, my great 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 grandmother, great 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 grandmother's language, um, and a little place that we call Nimirabal, uh, which is a, um, a place of many water, many water of our dreaming, um, the dreaming that we continue to talk, sing, walk, um, feel, uh, listen, see, um, and and that language is uh, important for me uh, as one of the dialects uh, through my grandmother's country. Um, so I, I, I hail from what we know as the Yuan Nation, which is the south coast of uh, New South Wales in the, in the new term, analogy, but uh, to all the different um, 600 different languages and thousands of dialects, and, and more importantly, to all the old people, all the old grandmothers and grandfathers of the world. Yeah. Good evening. Oh, thank you, Dwayne. Thank you. And now we'll officially open it. So welcome, everyone, to this wonderful room, this Zoom room and this panel discussion. Um, on behalf of Kat and I, we would like to acknowledge each of you here and we thank Dwayne for such a beautiful opening and such a beautiful acknowledgement. And um, we're so honoured to have each of you present. And in what will be uh, a beautiful discussion and one a harmonious discussion, but it will include topics such as multiculturalism, um, systematic racism, un unity, connection, and the need to change the narrative around all of this, as well as the opportunity for reconnection. Thank you so much, Dwayne. That was beautiful. And what I thought we might do is uh, go around and introduce ourselves in our native language. So if you have a native language, say hello, please, in that. Your name and your work title, what you do. So... Alan, I might get you to start, and once you're done, if you'd like to nominate the next person. No problems. My native um, language is G'day, mate. So I'm, I'm born and bred here in Australia, but my parents migrated uh, to, to Australia from Tonga in the 60s. And the way we say hello in Tongan is malolale. Um, so malolale to everybody. Professionally, I do about 10 different things. I, I'm a um, jack-of-all-trades, master of none. Um, but I do enjoy all of it's based around people. 
uh, people empowerment, um, and I guess acknowledgement and communication. So, uh, yeah, I haven't found the job that I wanted to when I, when I grow up. Uh, I still want to find that job. Um, people sort of say to me, you know, what do you do for a living? I say to them, I'm still waiting for that job, that perfect job for me when I grow up. Uh, and I'm 44 years old, married with two kids and one on the way. So people say to me, I've grown up already. I'm saying that's not, not just yet, not just yet. So um, I'll throw it to Dwayne. Thank you. You caught me off there. Thank you. Thank you, Alan. Um, yeah, look, like I said before, um, uh, obviously my name is Dwayne Bannon Harrison. Um, I uh, am a troublemaker uh, in a good way. And that is, um, you know, looking to change mindset, uh, mindset, um, mind, body and spirit. Um, the narrative was spoken about before, but I too, like Alan, do many things, but I've been very lucky um, to find my purpose. Um, so finding my purpose through adversity, trauma and pain uh, is a long story. I'm writing a book on it at the moment. I'm about 30,000 words in. Um, first uh, publish, uh, it, it wasn't great, but uh, keep working at it. Um, but uh, I suppose many things, but uh, I'd be remiss of me to to not acknowledge my old people, especially my grandfather, Jala Dulamunmun, um, and my grandmother, and all my old people. Um, without them, I, I wouldn't be. Um, but uh, I do um, run uh, a cultural, cultural awareness uh, initiative, which I've done now for 11 years, and it's just a blessing. Um, challenging work, hard work. Uh, the girls off camera were saying, you know, that I've got a pretty, pretty um, smick life, but um, yeah, I do work pretty hard uh, as well. And I suppose uh, in, Indigenous entrepreneurship um, is, is something I'm very passionate about. And um, I, I like to uh, help people, uh, my own people, um, generate that change through, through um, you know, self-determination is a, obviously as a, is an international um, concept uh, for a long time, but our people are, you know, um, haven't had the, the quite the, the right balance to, to, to fully um, inject into that. So uh, that's that's one of my um, big biggest sort of broader uh, missions, I suppose, amongst a whole heap of others. But I'm also a proud father of a, of, of a son and a daughter, and, a, and I, I'm hyped to, I like to think that I'm an okay husband to um, to, to my uh, Mangala Bukbuan. Um, and yeah, so I do lots of things, but that that'll do me this evening. Um, I'll um, throw it over. I'm going to go over, over, way over the other side of the world to Joe. Thank you. Thank you, Dwayne. How do I follow that? Hi, everyone. I'm Joe Baldwinshot. I'm on um, East Sussex, the coast, a beautiful part of the UK, and it's sunny here. So I'm, I'm not envious of you guys for once in, uh, in Australia. I have twin girls. I live um, in a yeah a beautiful place by the coast, and I publish the books of the social consciousness. So my latest book is this one here being fine the other, other f word so this supports men and their mental health and the, those are the books i publish as well as single author books but mostly multi-author books i also mentor and work with business founders around their dharma and their true soulful purpose um so alan i'd love to help you find your <laughs> your uh, your your grow i don't think we should ever grow up personally but i'm happy to uh, i would love to help you find your next non-grown-up job if, if I can. Um, so yeah, I was brought up in Bristol in the West Country of the UK. So where I come from, you say, Arit my babber, because <laughs> that's the, <laughs> the accents over the UK of bonkers, uh, as you're probably aware. Um, and there's a very strong accent, which thankfully I somehow missed out on. So I um, was a police officer for nine years, as well as being a teacher. And so this is a very uh, 
powerful, poignant subject. So I'm very blessed to be here with you guys. And a very big thank you to Teresa, who was one of the authors of my previous book, Silver Linings, and is going to be in the second edition of Being Fine. So very blessed to be here. Lovely to connect with you all. Thank you. And over to uh, Girish. Hello, everyone. Um, I speak five language, so I let me introduce my mother tongue, Gujarati. My name is Girish Makwana, and I am Bharati Avyashu. So what I said, my name is Girish Makwana. I came from India, and uh, I'm a professional filmmaker and musician. And I come across in my life, beautiful soul, Teresa. I admire her very much, a lovely lady, beautiful soul. And thank you, Teresa, to involve me in this beautiful people. And also I tribute to this entire things to the original land people, uh, Australian indigenous people and intellectual people, I can say. Um, and uh, I just um, come from such a family. Um, I don't know about uh, we call untouchable uh, caste system. We are deprived people, but my family, my parents study, uh, and uh, constitutions give us chance. And I came a lot of. Uh, obstacles and because of my polio affected leg and my uh, social and economical situation I gone through a lot of things but I enjoy the life and uh, I respect and appreciate each and everything and every moment of my life um, I'm a single person my, I, my, my parents it means my family is back home and I'm here in Australia and I guess exploring my life within myself with beautiful people. And I give to Therese, I guess. So a bit like Alan, I am actually um, an Aussie. So I would actually say g'day mate as well. Um, but in the language of my ancestry, it would be, uh, it is now 8.16. So it would be buona sera. Um, which means good evening, and it's the early evening, so uh, that's how I would say buonasera a tutti, which means good evening to all. Uh, I am a wellbeing facilitator, and I do lots in this space, <laughs> very similar to Ellen, I would say, uh, you know, a woman of many trades, and uh, uh, I just love life and love interacting with people and the opportunity to discuss many important topics in whatever way that is, whether that's on the table with my patients, whether that's through podcasts, whether that's in sharing the work and the wellness uh, modalities that I work in. So thank you. And now I'm going to throw it to, yeah, Caroline, you gave me a smile. I'm throwing it to you. <laughs> Good morning, everybody from just outside of Atlanta, Georgia in the United States. Um, I was born and raised in Louisiana, in New Orleans and in Baton Rouge. And so I just say, good morning, y'all. Um, and hand you a big old cup of coffee that would get your day started. Um, growing up in New Orleans is fascinating. Louisiana is part of the United States, as we know, um, has been uh, taken and taken and taken. And so it was French and Spanish and French and Spanish. 
Um, but my, my people are from North Louisiana, which is rural, even though I grew up in New Orleans. I spent 30 years of my life in Minnesota, Minneapolis, Minnesota, so in the northern part of the United States, as a public defender, so a criminal defense lawyer um, doing both people charged in state and federal court, um, and did that for 30 years. My title professionally now is Legal and Policy Director, Georgia Appleseed Center for Law and Justice, because representing individuals matters, but when you're working in a system that chews and spits people out, then you've got to change the system. And so I'm doing systems change, but my real work, I have a group called Warrior Wellness, and I've done wellness trainings for public defenders and people engaged in change work. Um, and and the, the real peace is peace. We have a peace within us um, that when everyone gets in touch with, they see one another, they see themselves. And so my role here on this earth in this lifetime is to have people be in touch with the divine within so they understand that they are divine and that everyone around them is divine. So, glad to be with y'all this morning. I'm going to hand it just north of me to my brother, Reverend Casey. Good morning, everyone. Universal peace and love. I am Casey Corbin of Moving Mountains Motivation. I was born in Tifton, Georgia, where I'm residing right now in the beautiful city of Atlanta, Georgia, part of Atlanta. I was born in Tifton, Georgia, which is about two and a half hours south of Atlanta. And I'm just a good old Southern country boy, they say. Born in the Deep South, born in the Deep South in Georgia here. And I was born at a time when huh, racism was still, it was still strong. The, the effects of Jim Crow was still, still be felt. I didn't know it then as a boy. Of course, my parents knew it, but as I got older and I found out. What I do at with, with Moving Mountains Motivation is a motivational speaking firm. So I'm a motivational leader, thought leader, motivational speaker, spiritual teacher, seminar facilitator. I help people to find limited beliefs, remove limited beliefs, and place limited beliefs with empowering beliefs that one can use to tap into their own infinite potential. The real peace, as my sister, my dear sister Caroline would say, the real peace, P-I-E-C-E, is the peace which Caroline was talking about. I help people to discover their divinity, to go within themselves, help people to find themselves, which means to remember themselves, to remember who they truly are help people to discover their inner self, their spiritual self, their higher self, their divine self, their God self. And I came through poverty. I came through addictions, drug and alcohol addictions. I came through incarceration, nine years of incarceration. 
And I came through this life of poverty and all of its characteristics to get to where I am today so that I can reach back and help others who also want to be free, also want to live a better life, a new life. And so I am so grateful to be here with you all today um, to share this experience. I'm excited to hear other people's stories and to just to be a part of this amazing experience that Teresa and Catherine have invited me to be a part of. And so I'm excited. Josh? Thanks, mate. How you going, everyone? I'm from Queensland. Um, so, yeah, another way we could say it is, is how you going? How you going? We, the Queenslanders have got a pretty funny accent. Um, it's a bit more, yeah, yeah, it's a bit rougher. But um, I grew up here. I grew up in Brisbane. And, um, yeah, I came from pretty pretty uh, normal, normal family. Um, my, my parents, uh, one side of the family is from Ireland and one side of the family is from Germany. They came over, um, all, all of my um, descendants, uh, my lineage came over as free settlers. Um, so whatever that means, <laughs> but that's, that's how they came over. And then, um, yeah, they fought in the wars and stuff. And, uh, and yeah, that's, that's kind of a bit, bit about my background and uh, my his my history. I've, um, yeah, I've over the years developed a pretty strong meditation practice. So, at the, uh, and actually last year I just became a meditation teacher. So, um, I've been doing that this year. I've also, um, been living on a farm this year since COVID. And so that's been pretty interesting. Before that, um, I was running community events where we taught people about waste education and ocean conservation. And that was really awesome. Uh, but yeah, since COVID, I've been living on the farm and um, exploring the idea of regeneration. It seems to be a bit of a hot word lately. So last year I just started to, you know, just try and understand what that actually means. And um, like some of the other fellas, on this call um, have come through, you know, I, when I was younger in my teens, a lot of drug and alcohol abuse. So um, it's been interesting exploring regeneration because I've noticed that I've actually been on my own path of self regeneration. And um, yeah, and that's been the meditation's obviously been really helpful for that. And now, um, now it's really nice to be able to teach meditation to others because for me, it's, it's a really simple way to, um, to understand ourselves better, to start to get comfortable with ourselves and the stories we tell ourselves and to, yeah, remove um, stories that might not be serving us and, and just to, you know, get a little bit of clarity around um, how to show up in the world from a, from a healthy place. Um, so, yeah, I'm really honoured that you guys have invited me to be here uh, amongst such high calibre of people. So I, I'm, um, yeah, really looking forward to exploring the conversation tonight. And, yeah, thanks for inviting us on, Teresa and Catherine. And I will pass it to Farvadin. Thanks, Josh. Uh, it's a true honor to be here. Thank you, Teresa and Kat, for including me in this uh, very uh, uh, gathering of the chiefs and the knowledgeables and, and the wise women and men. And I um, just want to be here to listen and learn more. It's a great opportunity for me to pick a few more points of view on the topic, which is very 
very dear to me, uh, coexistence and uh, diversity and unity and peace, of course. Yeah, like many of you, I'm also interested in, in uh, finding myself and, and searching my true essence. I also love art and I also seek opportunities to be of use to others and that sums up my my way of life and what I do and what do I do. That's basically it. Thank you very much. Oh, thank you for that. And there's a lot to that's basically it. If anyone just saw Sunday night's podcast, uh, it was Dr. Favarden that we had on and truly marvellous man. However, we need you to say hello in your native tongue, if you can, please. Yeah, that's easy. My first language uh, is Farsi, Persian. And in that language, it is say, Durud Bar We've got to go to Kat. Kat? <laughs> In your native language, please. <laughs> oh, oh, g'day, guys. Uh, <laughs> so I'm Kat. I mean, I, yeah, I'm lucky to be uh, a journeying traveller. I'm someone who's come from the travel and tourism background, and, and I love to say that I'm someone who is a, a learner, and I, I love to, to meet people and all of you on this screen because I, I gain so much from what you share and so my passion throughout you know my life and and will continue to be is is to connect with people and to find purpose and meaning and to share that connection in any way that I can so g'day thanks for joining us and yeah I I'm super pumped for the conversation that's about to happen my heart's doing this because I know there's some important things that are coming up so over to you T <laughs> thanks Kat look um I hope now that everyone's had a chance to go around the room and just feel like you have a small snapshot of who has gathered here this evening I'm just going to take it right there um and I'm going to go straight to you Alan because last year when you posted your piece i think it was on the 27th of june um you posted a clip on facebook and on youtube that spoke to the hearts of so many australians and also non-australians so those living here in australia that have experienced what you spoke about and also that many of those overseas um but it was what was so pivotal at what you shared was just seeing, I think because of the impact on your children, but also for me was seeing Kylie and just seeing what Kylie has to endure with what you shared. Could you please share with the group um, on what you shared in that post? And then we're gonna open that discussion to the group on their experiences as well with what, you've, what you're about to share. Yeah, for sure. Look, I think there's two parts to it. First, my wife is Caucasian, uh, she's French. Um, so it's, what's interesting about that part is when people see me, they, they say to me, oh, so, you know, your background is Tongan. So, you know, your wife is Tongan. And I'm like, well, why would my wife be Tongan? Just because my background is Tongan. Why would that be the case? Um, so, yeah, she's had to travel a bit of a journey and a pathway for herself. Second piece to this is um, sometimes I can't get through this without being emotional. And part of that emotional piece is not out of, um, not out of, uh, fear or sadness, but to express the true meaning behind what that is, you know, the journey of the whole piece going forward. Part of my journey, um, my, the reason why I'm on earth, I believe, is to help, to teach, to talk to, but also 
for men to show that it's okay for uh, the alpha male to also shed a tear. Uh, my background is I was a nightclub bouncer. I'm a rugby player. I'm everything that's supposed to be in this whole piece of masculinity, but I will cry. And I will make sure that it's okay for everybody to understand that that's okay. And I know Teresa's felt that through what I've done through rugby. And uh, so Teresa's son was at a, a boys' college. We talked through, um, uh, we worked through how to share and open up to each other while we we're on the rugby field. The first year I was there, the captain uh, in their end of rugby speech said the first thing that this person taught us was how to love. This is the captain of a rugby team at a boys' school. And he said, my coach taught me how to love. You know, that's huge. That breaks down barriers. Uh, Teresa said in speeches that I said there, I've had the entire room in tears, including men and some high level executive men. Uh, but part of that is to show that it is okay to do this. It is okay to do this. If men can't show their emotions, people die. End of story, people die, whether it's females, whether it's males, whether it's suicide. Uh, you know, so that's that, that part of it. So there's a, like I said, I've, I, I do lots of things. Um, and they're all sort of molded into the one piece. The piece I did last year was um, obviously in regards to um, the death in America, hence the I Can't Breathe t-shirt. And there was a lot of talk about racism and there was a lot of, lot of talk about Black Lives, Black Lives Matters. And I had a lot of people approach me saying, you know, are you going to the march? Are you going to do this? Are you going to stand up? Are you going to be a voice? And the piece for me was, why do I need one moment in time put all my energy in to be this voice when it's a continuum on a daily basis. So the video I put together was just a snapshot of what happens on a day-to-day -day basis. And this affects me now because I have a five-year-old in grade prep and I know what that looks like. So in grade five, I was pushed over at primary school um, by a parent. And all the other parents sat around and just watched. And the words were, do not, um, uh, sorry, do not uh, pick on my son, you black bastard, a five-year-old. So I remember getting up off the ground and running all the way home and saying to my mum, mum, they've, you know, and then absolute tears. That's what sticks with me. I have a five-year-old now and I thought, I, I can't fathom the thought of somebody pushing over a child and saying, you black bastard. You know, I didn't understand it because I'm born here in Australia. Fast track that, fast forward that, and there was talk about, um, we just went through this whole journey of what is racism, what is prejudice. To give you an understanding, I believe for me, I've been affected by prejudice, not racism. And I, and I need to be able to say that because my belief is if my life has been threatened because of the color of my skin, that's racism. I'm not Aboriginal, so I've not died because of the color of my skin. I am not um, uh, African-American. I've not died because of my, the color of my skin, nor have my people. I call it prejudice here in Australia because it's a lack of education. Educate, now, if somebody's educated about somebody's background, or educated about prejudice and racism, but they then choose to, to be racist, then for me, that's racism. So fast forward that, I, I talk this entire journey and um, Dwayne in 2016, um, uh, I did this cultural awareness piece at the Collingwood Football Club with uh, the organization I was working with at the time. And was absolutely blown away about how much we don't know as a country. You know, absolutely blown away. And I took home this piece and it's a, it's a license. And it's a license that states you're allowed to, and it's obviously for an, an Aboriginal man, you're allowed to walk down the streets between this time and this time. 
you're also allowed to, um, you're not allowed to speak, speak in your native tongue. You're not allowed to meet or greet with anybody of your um, family. And it just has a list of these conditions. And in that states, um, uh, if you are obliged by all this, then you can walk the streets like a white man. This is a license to say you can walk the streets like a white man if you agree to all these terms. And then I pan to the date and it's 1953. That's not that long ago, you know, so that's part of that journey. Fast forward that to uh, two years ago. Um, and this is part of this in the video. My daughter, we went to a fair. Um, my daughter was lining up to this balloon artist who was making um, roses for the girls and swords for the boys. Um, I think it was right. Oh, uh, Poodles for the girls, swords for the boys. And he was doing this back and forth. And anyway, my daughter came to the front and he looked up um, and he looked over and said, is anybody else? And this continued. And she was standing there to the point where she turned back and looked at me. And I had, I knew what was going on. I knew what it was, but I had to encourage her that it was okay. It got to the stage where another parent walked over and said, excuse me, this girl's been standing here before my daughter or my son. And he was like, no, 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 no. It's fine. He then made a little black flower and gave a black flower to my daughter, five-year-old. Well, back then, a four, three-and-a-half, four-year-old. She came to me and she said to me, Daddy, what's this? And every parent there knew exactly what it was. I had to make a conscious decision there to, to, to take a particular action. And the action that everybody would have expected me to do was to grab this guy by the throat and throw him over the fence. But then me, the big rugby nightclub bouncer aggressor, becomes the aggressive person. So I turned to her and I said to her, that is the most beautiful black flower I've ever seen. This kid ran off and jumped and danced, waving her black flower around as it was the most powerful thing that she had. And that and many other things have made me realize that the power of words is far greater. The power of words and the power of action will always defeat the power of prejudice and racism. Fast track that, you know, fast forward that to, um, I was editing the video and as I was walking down the street where we, where I live, and that was only, well, we say in July last year, I walked past a driveway and the man just shouts out in the driveway, what the F are you looking at, you black bastard? And here I am with my Caucasian wife and my two kids. So I tell this story and this journey through that without anger, without anything, it's just factual to show that prejudice exists here in Australia and it exists everywhere. And I call it prejudice. And the reason being is because this whole debate about we're not a racist country. Well, let's have a look what we did with our Aboriginal people. You know, let's have a look at what we're doing with, you know, all these other situations that we have on our hands. And if you don't think we are, you know, because it, there was this debate about um, uh, all lives matter versus black lives matter. And I'm like, you don't understand the journey. I then went and made this t-shirt, obviously I can't breathe. And that was, that was for me to challenge myself to ensure that I put it on and walk the streets and not say a word. And what I found wearing this down the street where I live was people, some that congratulated and some, a guy spat out his window at me. I, I don't know, I don't know who he was. He doesn't know who I am. But because I wear a t-shirt that says a few words on it, he spits at me on the street. There was people that looked at me in a, in a very different way. My father-in-law, we all went and we, we, we walked his dog around the area that we lived. And he was two steps behind me. And he said, I actually never ever saw, never ever thought of this or saw this before, Al. 
you're wearing that t-shirt and I see people look at you at disgust and then look at me and say g'day you know they when they see me and my wife in the store it's oh can I help can I help you I'm like no and they turn to my wife and go hi there how are you da, 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 da. and she's like well that's my husband you know this and then I started to understand about the system of racism and all the rest of it so that's the, the the small part of my journey with this piece and it ended up being um uh viewed all over the world and had interviews all over the world um uh hot tip with that if you ever agree to do a new uh, interview in new zealand for 5 a.m know which 5 a.m they're talking about because i got a phone call at 2 30 a.m saying are you ready to go for 5 a.m new zealand time and i was like <clears throat> but what's the difference uh, i guess the the the, the conversation is racism prejudice what does it look like how does it look like for everybody else alan thank you for sharing and, and so openly as you did um but also to really bring up those two concepts prejudice and racism i hadn't really made the association of the two um i definitely want to go to the two that are from the us on this particularly because of the george floyd this week but before so Dwayne, can we come to you and just ask you to speak to what Alan has just shared. And if any of that resonates with you, and also what do you take on it as prejudice or racism or whole cultural misunderstanding on everything? Firstly, um, big love, Alan, to you and your family. Um, big love to everybody. It's a pretty, pretty heavy topic to uh, dive into, hey, um, big journey. Um, Look, I'm, I'm very conscious. I sort of thought that I would get this thrown at me, um, to be honest, but I aspire as to be um, as considered as possible. I call it un unconsciousness. Um, you know, it's unconscious to humanity and it's sort of something, a big part of the messaging that I deliver. So what I probably didn't touch on or articulate clearly to um to to the to the group and and hello reverend Kate casey hello brother um uh i uh i, I educate people left right and center sometimes um those are mandated cultural trainings so for our international friends here um you may or may not be aware there's a there's a massive um imbalance in 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 the general education um the the ignorance the the, the the sort of in, ingrained racism um prejudice uh, discrimination whatever the label is it's a form of unconsciousness um and and it hurts it hurts to to hear your story brother um and we always i suppose in, a, in an unconscious mind um from the indoctrinated uh western construct that is now a big part and and, and a light-hearted way I, I always say to non non indigenous or anglo-saxon or you know uh the 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 uh, descent people for that come from you know the, the medieval days of the british empire and and we look at uh characters in our history like henry the eighth and and i always go to henry the eighth because he's a he's a remarkable character in our in our history that that changed mindsets and changed attitudes hey you know, not not just solely but he had a big uh a big big doing in that so therefore i'll sort of take alan's sort of little part there and fast forward and, and go back in time but you've really got to get back and we're all healers here i'm, I'm very humbled to hear um you know the healing essence of this so we're, we're diving deep into the into the wound and the scar here you know we're, we're getting right to the crux of um addressing the elephant in the room in a big way straight off the cusp um so 
um, when we look at history, when we look at unconsciousness, um, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a human thing. Um, and, and to me, being a, a person of colour, um, so a, a big part of the book that, that, that I write about is, um, and in my early childhood, I remember being stopped in uh in the street and uh obviously having an olive complexion and my my mum remarried it's a long story but my mum remarried and i have two two younger brothers and a younger sister who were creamy and, and white and non-indigenous so so here i am the little black fella you know walking around you know in 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 a in a town that um in the central west i was then in new south wales so for overseas visitors that's a an inland city um and predominantly blue collar uh white sort of dominated uh community and uh and i remember getting these uh you know these looks of doesn't he have beautiful olive skin you know where, where does it where, where does it come from so so some of those memories are, are positive but but i've had everything in between but i also can be pakistani italian argentinian brazilian you know i'm, I'm a person of color that that morphs into many different nationalities purely from a from a visual uh, connotation so my, my life is very interesting until obviously I identify I speak my language and I'm strong in my culture and my father's lineage but having um, an Irish Gaelic mother and an indigenous father I I have a view um, and a very important insight and I, and I believe again I spoke to my about my purpose earlier um, what makes me so good at what I do is that I, that I have those those two worlds and those two lenses to to, to navigate um, and I'm making a pretty bold um, statement here and it's connected to, to Alan's story. It's, it's um, you know, that, that discrimination and that prejudice, brother, um, from a, a mixed descent Aboriginal person's point of view, we're too black to be white, too white to be black. Um, we can be pigeonholed as black fellows and put into that mode or, you know, many mixed descent people would, would resonate with that in many, many ways. But in the country they call Australia, you know, um, not so long ago, and you spoke of the 1953, I think it was, um, you know, 19, 1967 was when we were recognised uh, to give in, to, to, uh, for voting rights, and we thank Uncle Charlie Perkins for that freedom right and all that. The elders, um, the, predecessors, the, the preceding elders after him fought, um, you know, for land rights and, and, and for many things as well in our history, um, and we honour those old people as well. My grandfather was one of those. Um, he was uh, spent many many nights in cells, and and he tells me you know, very strongly. Um, he goes, I, I met, I, I I took on, you know, I took on the Ganges, and the Ganges a slang term for for policemen. Um, you know, I I, I I spent nights in cells for you, uh, and I, us as a family, uh, me and me as the oldest grandson. Um, but I I don't want you to do what I did. I want you to educate people, share spirit, share love. Um, and take that take that forward um, and he has a, a strong message which is one is give it away to keep it I must give our give our culture away in order for it to be kept share the love you know share the kindness share the happiness you know, we're all byproducts of the transgenerational trauma and we, and we encounter exactly what you said brother each and every day I you know I get looks left right and center and especially if I'm in an Acor hotel with trackies and sometimes for you guys, we do dance performances. So we've got ochre and, you know, different things all over us that the looks I get are, are, are incredible. And my, I too, my wife is non-Indigenous and she's my, she's my eyes. She'll sit right behind my back and, 
and see, you know, and she, she happens to have a psych background too. So, you know, she's very interested in people and, and, and people's reactions. So it, it's quite interesting. I, there's many other things and Robert Warren's, I would like to chase down with this tonight, um, but I, I'm trying to keep it considered. Um, but, you know, when we go back to humanity and I know what we're dealing with and what's happened and, um, you know, all, all love to, you know, all people of color that, that have, had to endure the injustices of, of this country. But I suppose um, for the US people, I had one young lady say, you know, you've got a bit of Malcolm X about you uh, in, in a reference. And I've also got Martin, Martin Luther King, you know, and, and I sort of like to lean into him um, a little bit um, to, to sort of say, you know, that we, there's hope and there's optimism and, and, and there's love and there's prosperity. And, yeah, the change the change is coming. So I think we have. I have to finish on that note. Um, I do see the shift. Um, I live and breathe. Um, you know the other stuff uh, each and every day. And um, my grandfather and I'll finish on this note. When, when he speaks, he talks about um, the indigenous people of this country have have not had their complete voice heard. Um, we still look at the concept reconciliation. And ironically, I had a meeting with Reconciliation Australia today for overseas um, brothers and sisters. That's our peak body of reconciling with first peoples over here that the government had set up um, for 20, for 30 years now. Um, and, um, but we need to look at the definition of reconcile and what does it mean? Um, it means to amend a relationship that was there in the first place. And, and when Lieutenant James Cook sailed up this coast and 18 years later, Governor Philip planted the, the, the you know, the flagging and, and the penal colony of New South Wales um, under the under the Terranullius indoctrinated lie, um, that's that's a part of our shared history. And and he says, we are refugees in our own country. Um, so I'm going to leave it at that. Um, thank you for listening. Um, it's such a such a hard topic. Um, but yeah, I've um, had a like I say, a red hot crack at trying to um, give you guys some some insight. Thank you. Thank you so much, Dwayne, and and for the history as well, and for bringing such, as you said, sort of we're going into the crux of it, we're going into the scar and, and this is what needs to be healed. And luckily with conversations like this, with the work that all of you are doing, that healing is taking place. One thing that you mentioned, Dwayne, in that too, is that you're noticing the change. And I would like to throw it over to those in the state. So maybe Carolyn, um, if you wouldn't mind chatting to us what what change you are seeing last year we obviously had really heightened topics come up and it was unavoidable on so many levels and yeah i'd just like to to ask you what change you are seeing from this i think the big change that we're seeing um, is that the lights are being turned on um and and the wounds are being uh the bandages are being removed so you talk about last year, but what we know is it wasn't just last year. And I'm going to say George Floyd's name because that was last year. And there's Mike Garner and there's uh, uh, Tamir Rice and, and, and on and on. Sandra, whose last name I'm forgetting right. The women often get forgetting that. And so a big part of it is um, a, a dear teacher of mine talked about the fact that um, before the wounds can heal, they have to come to light and they have to be in the air. And so that's part of what has happened. I will say that um, I am a, a, a white woman uh, raised in a middle-class family 
Um, and one of the things we talk about race and, and prejudice, and we could go down that road. What I will raise up today is that white people have a responsibility to have these conversations. And it's not my responsibility to say, hey, Al, tell me what I need to know. And Reverend Casey, tell me what I need to know. And Dwayne, that we need to engage and talk about it. And one of the things that has hit me since the murder of Mr. Floyd, and that trial just started yesterday, um, the first of them, is um, that I have had white friends who have reached out and said, I need to know where to learn. That's part of what white people need to do. And that's part of my responsibility is to speak it. Uh, racism and prejudice matter. Uh, one of the things that I think white people can get in the role of doing uh, in the United States anyway, is to get into semantics and worry about it. So that I'm not racist, I am racist. There's a philosophy that if you were born white, you are racist because you were in the system. And my walking into a store, I can walk around as much as I want to, unless my girlfriend's with me and she's African-American and then they watch us because she's there. And so understanding privilege, and again, that's a word that people can, white folks can get caught up in because um, I don't have everything. I don't have a, I, okay, I'm gonna cancel that out. I have everything I need. I know that in my life, but there are people who believe, well, I don't have that job I want. We don't have a fancy house. And so how can I possibly pr be privileged? And they're not seeing the other pieces that are there and the fact that the literature that I read in school was white men and a couple of white women, mostly British. What I know about American history starting off, you started talking, Dwayne, about um, the, the roll down the coast and the captain. And, and I thought we've got a similar history because the Brits came in. And so what I know is of the white men that created this country. And so there's a disservice to me as well. And so what, what, is, what is opening, um, and this is a path I've been on throughout my life, um, and continue to challenge myself because it must be challenged. And so really the change is people are talking and they have to talk. And, I, and there is a way in which I want to say more evil has risen, but I don't think there's more. I think, again, the light's being turned on. And I want to speak to the concept of love. And that is, I think about the Grinch. This came to me during the administration of the last president. I don't say his name because I think there's power in names. But the last president, did we think, I don't know if y'all know about the story of the Grinch. And so he's stealing there all of Christmas until Cindy Lou happens to get milk in the middle of the night. And what we know is his heart was always there. So everybody's heart is there. And I have to operate in that way so that the officer who is to be convicted, um, who murdered George Floyd, he's got a heart in there. Things have to happen. And so what changed was when Cindy Lou who smiled at him and his heart, the, the walls around it cracked open. Some of what is happening is people, white people are in discomfort and have been in discomfort around what racism and privilege does to them in their lives and their failure. When they look when at black and brown and people of color and there is a constriction because the the in in the response al that you speak to they don't have an awareness that that's not what they really want and that's part of where it's like they're uncomfortable and what do they do and so they think it's the looking out and it's the lessons they've been taught 
It's the way they've been taught to see that is not true to their nature. It's just not. And with that, I'll pause. So I'm grateful to be in this conversation. Um, I'll own the fact that the other thing is I'll say real quick, and I didn't say it right away. I want to say, well, you need to know my family in North Louisiana, they were poor farmers. They didn't want to go out to war because they had a family to take care of. So they would call about dirt farmers. And, and that's the other thing that white folks have a tendency to do, though, is to say, well, we weren't plantation owners. I'm going to tell you all something. Those folks up in North Louisiana pulled that lever and voted for that man that had four years, the last four years in the United States. So they may not have owned a plantation, but they bought the farm. And we've got to unteach them and remind them that what they're learning about loving one another isn't loving your white folks and being, you know, so I just, I, so much to say and so grateful. And so for the white people that are listening, no matter what country you're in, you have a responsibility to learn and reach out to one another because there are conversations we can have and you can ask those hard questions and say those weird, awful things and purge them from yourself. And we can change because we have to change to make this world change. Powerful, Caroline, and thank you. And thank you for speaking to so many of us, so many of us that are wanting the change and that can identify with the heartache that has occurred for so long and with what needs to act, with the narrative that needs to change right now. We need to take accountability for it. So thank you for all that you shared um, Girish, I'm going to go to you because you wrote and directed The Colour of Darkness. And in that, that film, I think, is it, is it five, four years, or is it four years that it's come out now? Yeah, 2017. Okay, yes. And you had already the foresight of understanding what was happening here and understanding what was happening and had happened for so long in India. Hmm. Just share your views on the discussions that have been occurring here and also a little bit about what you were trying to deliver, the message you were trying to deliver in The Colour of Darkness. The, my film, majority Western society know about black and white matter, you know, black lives matter and everything. But uh, I come across, being a lot of different countries, a lot of white people or a lot of another people, not I say white, but a lot of Western or the people who not lived in India or not, not from the Southeast East Asian region, they don't understand the concept of the caste system. So caste system is like really more than five or 10,000 year old tradition, which is the divided full portion. So you born that lineage, born in that caste. So if you are Brahmins so or priests, so you, you are teacher, you are very high caste. If you are Kshatri, a warrior, then you are Vaishya, you are in a, uh, the business community and Shudra. And now this is the main, so Shudra is a lower caste or untouchable. And then Shudra we call Dalit now. And there's a lot of difference so like uh, cobblers or tanners or weavers or, you know, um, shoes cleaner, you know. And time being, slowly, 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 the society and people created that thing. Um, in my great-grandfather, even though I saw my own eyes, actually, uh, doesn't matter 
how much you educated like after post independent india uh, the uh, the constitution written and the irony is the, like the uh, writer was the untouchable guy the only first untouchable guy the mahatma gandhi give him chance and he fought with mahatma gandhi so they use as a tokenism but he's a very highly qualified and he he wrote the indian constitution and they in that constitution there's a clause was that okay, the people were deprived and untouchable they called scheduled castes and scheduled tribes and they have particular reservation quota and they can educate and blah 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 but again the mentality of the people doesn't matter you become a president or prime minister or the teacher whatever but you are always untouchable because you born in that caste you born in that thing so for example the lower caste person never married high caste girls or boy they can't enter their house they can't enter the 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 their well to get the water they can't get the temple you know even the same religion like they are hindus they you know so and that's why mahatma phule dr ambedkar mahatma gadi jyotiba phule and his wife they try bring awareness of the society in the 2021 still like um, because western media only target only black life matter or terrorism because which is their i personally thinks what is their profit and what's how they gain but they never reach the real Uh, grassroots issue neither west neither east nowhere you know as we all know how big voice game is so uh, just recently two weeks ago there is a one dalit we call untouchable he is a professor and his son is also professor and he getting married and you know how the the procession start uh, the big big uh, rally from their house to outside and the, he was riding on the horse and all high caste people came and stop and beat them because of you are untouchable you can't do this thing you're not allowed to do these things you can't wear this so if you see if you watch my film and how i how i depict or how i show my my grandfather and my father fought for their rights in india in 1965 for their own rights so still that system always going on the practice still going on even the indian people who migrate either america australia canada uk or wherever they go the high caste people always practice that things and when you ask them like for example any westerners like oh did you pray? oh no this is very old system we don't follow that things but when they for example the father the boy or girls getting married they always find that things so we only for even the actually we one month ago one of my friend she did one abc radio program about the caste system in overseas in australia and how even the when i came here first time when i asked this uh, the boys asked me which caste you are and they didn't give me the house because of my caste in australia so a uh, lot of uh, people untouchable people or low caste boys or girls came here migrated here they still face that racial or discrimination caste issue now we still fighting and they always like after i made the film and i become a 
openly and very big NDTV people, one big journalist took my interview and I told a lot of people in Melbourne, in Australia, they just stopped talking to me. They are so good friends. I was like, oh, because they go Girish, because they think, oh, I'm a good filmmaker or good musician before they were goody goody. But they realized, oh, this guy is like that. So they're not supporting my film. They're not supporting. And I got a lot of un, 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 unknown phone numbers and say, uh, from phone numbers. Like, well, you shouldn't talk about this subject because you showed India very badly. But I said, well, this is the reality. This is a reality. Like even the in America, in Hollywood, at least they try, a lot of people try to um, project the Black Lives Matter and how they made the film about black people issues. Like, you know, they're trying basically, which is the so-called Bollywood, Hindi cinema. They never ever talk about the untouchability or caste system. In... And what I understand, because of my physical um, disability and my caste issue, what I struggle and I observe, I think discrimination and prejudice is a come from fear. When you're fear, because people who are fear, they always try to bully each opposite person. That fears, they, they, either unconscious mind, the fear always go, oh, terrorists do something better than me, or terrorists take my place, or, you know, so they try to suppress the terrorists, or I'm just giving you an example, but try to suppress, and that fear, we build and we pass that fears. So like, I give you like when 7 11, uh, the September 11 happened, you know, and oh, terrorists coming and dropping the bomb everywhere, you know, and they create that fear. So everyone's like, wow, you know, every Muslim is like terrorists and they kill you. That fears. Uh, um, I'm just giving you example kind of things. And what I observe, like, you know, because in still today, if I want to buy house in high caste area, they ask me first what my caste is. In India, even though no matter how much I'm educated, I got six degrees, I got name and blah, blah, blah. But doesn't matter who you are. They ask your caste. And I always argue, why? What's wrong? What's the problem? Oh, no, 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 no. We believe in that things. The same thing in Melbourne and um, Sydney and everywhere. So that fear, and I think the, the two, what I understand, the two major thing is like fear and mentality. Until and unless, doesn't matter is black, white, whatever it is. Until and unless you don't change your mentality towards the humanity, towards the within your own self, you're not going to change anything. No matter how much you make law, how much you preach, how much you tell the things, how much seminar and whatever you do. Until unless the person's self-consciousness, you not change that mentality towards the humanity and not grow up from that fear. I think this will be take long time. This is my personal things. And in my film, I just try to show the two, we living in this society, 
problem exists and we try our best to do something better to educate the people and make them understand where we are and what is what's the point of our education and what we how uh, how we can can call ourselves as a modern or educated people if you not appreciate is my grandfather always say in funny way okay human reach the moon very easily but they never never reach their people heart or the next door neighbor people try spend too much money and time and energy to reaching another planet but we don't have try to reach someone heart or someone our own next door neighbor or never think so so i try my best to do this thing and i think I think there is a lot of good people in this world. There is, I think, eighty percent is good people. I believe only twenty people. They are more powerful and more bully, and more fear people. Mostly pure people, psychologic. Most pure people do bully things. They try to suppress the things. So you just see history, like thousand British walked in the um, in India. They captured the entire India. 500 people, uh, 500 British walked in the Africa. They captured the entire Africa, create the slavery. Bunch of people walked in Australia, take over the entire Australia. So this is just a history, and that's way because uh, end of the day we have to self-conscious and come over from that mentality and fear and make people aware and educated. And I think every, even the bad, the good, the ugly, every person have a heart. And once you tell them, they can understand, they can realize. Thank you so much, Girish. And I, I love what your grandfather said. And he, that's very true. <laughs> that's very, very true. And what an amazing film it is that you're bringing awareness to. And Josh, I don't know if you feel the same but as Carolyn you were saying it's it's our responsibility you know mm -hmm. we don't necessarily get taught the information that you're sharing tonight we definitely don't get the personal accounts of this through mm -hmm. a school system so it is you know and I have also taken it upon myself to learn and to engage and and grasp an understanding of what is a life that's lived outside of mine you know we are so different but yet we we also are very similar too so josh i might throw to you and see in terms of yeah your education and in terms of what you see what the share the stories that have been shared here tonight as well how are you digesting all of this yeah um well mostly i just try to listen <laughs> because um that's something that I've learned is, you know, a really powerful way for me to expand my own awareness and understanding of um, these kinds of issues because coming from a, uh, you know, fairly comfortable family um, and, you know, like through the like traditional schooling system and I never got that um, education and to be really honest and vulnerable, like all my grandparents were extremely racist and, um, you know, even today, like I've got friends around me that are racist um, and people don't try to bring it up with around me as much anymore because they know like, you know, I don't know, they might feel shame or something. I don't know what's going on with other people, but, um, you know, people see like, oh, this guy's interested in learning about other cultures. So like, let's not be, 
the racist around him. But I still try and have those conversations. Like my best mate is is all like I'd have some I I bash heads with him all the time over this kind of stuff. Um, but from my understanding, it's um, just a complete lack of awareness uh, of other cultures, and it's really as simple as that. And so what I've what I've learned is just to listen and um and to you know build relationships and go out of um, out of the way to actually try and learn uh, and to be humble about like understanding that I don't know really anything um, apart like especially considering like our my my culture um, like a white culture in Australia is so confusing as it is like what even is it you know what I mean like <laughs> I've talked about um, like there's a big alcohol like drinking culture and like there's like you know we've got the rugby culture and we've got all these kinds of um, these kind of like subcultures but no real strong um, traditional culture that has a deep lineage um not in what not in white australia anyway like i talked to warren my mate um from yarn australia and he goes man it must be hard being a white australian because you must feel like you don't belong and i'm like fuck like i never thought of it like that but um i guess you might be right like i wonder what it's like for an aboriginal australian to feel like they're on the land that they have a deep deep connection with and if you if, if you know but you know, people don't think about that like my friends wouldn't think about that but and when i when i stop to actually think about that like it's like fuck yeah like where's my um roots and yeah like a lot of, like it's just stuff that we don't think about we get pushed to the side and there's a lot of shame and guilt and a lot of um yeah negative emotions and trauma and um yeah but it's just having the courage i guess to to just sit back and listen and then learn that way josh thank you and you just said there's a lot of shame guilt and trauma and i would say that everyone regardless of what their background is actually feels that as well and i think you know Dwayne, you could talk to that on many levels alan you can talk to that you know we can all talk to having um just that guilt of even who you are or our disconnection to our own culture or to our own lineage or to feeling so disconnected even on this land i'm going to go to you casey because Giri mentioned some stuff around 9-11 um, and just even your time when you spent nine years incarcerated, you know, you would have seen a number of perhaps, you would have seen the difference between the white um, that were imprisoned and, and the black. So is that something you saw or what is it that you feel like you want to share on this forum tonight? Uh, yeah, definitely, Teresa, thank you. And thank everyone for... Uh, everyone who shared, I, I really enjoyed listening and absorbing the different stories and perspectives and concepts and ideas and different different understandings. Just amazing. It, and it happens to be a place that I'm in right now. It's understanding people and loving people. Um, because I always say it at Moving Mountains that I, I love to help people help themselves and because I believe in the power of people. You know, I believe in the power of people. Teresa, yeah, I saw it when I was incarcerated and I got to experience it. It's, it's there. It's not only out in society, but it's behind the chain link fences, behind the razor wire. It's behind the towers with 
the security guards with the automatic weapons. It's from the top, from the wardens down to the officers. It's, it's, it's what, what is it? Um, the prejudice, the racism, the discrimination, it's even in there. And in that controlled environment, it can be very, very, very heated. <laughs> I mean, just think about what goes on in society, but think about it in a controlled environment like that. And you have people who instigate like the system, um, the thinking about the correction system that instigates prejudice and racism inside. And so you're close, we live in close quarters, very close quarters. And uh, we can't say, I don't want to be your, your bunk mate. I mean, we can say that, but if you do, you're going to the hole. It's <laughs> no longer a you don't know how long you're going to be there if you live in such close quarters that you could be shanked, you know, for uh, because of this, you could be killed. You know, I, I've actually experienced that happening. You know, I, I've been there up close and personal where, you know, there were race wars, you know, inside of um, prison just because of skin color and but I know it's it's deeper than that and what what I want to add to it is touching on what everyone has said I experienced not just being incarcerated but in society um, with my chocolate skin you know <laughs> with my melanin understanding that it's it's in it's in consciousness it's a learned behavior and as so many have said it's my experience is 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 rooted in ignorance deeply rooted in ignorance is is deeply rooted in not wanting to understand people um, is deeply rooted in I'll say this a race war which races are inventions but the race war is racing to get 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 to shut others out you know to keep them out and so you have this this race war where it seems like this one race Again, races are invented because there's only one race. This, these, these, these races are invented, and so this racing that seems like this one race has risen to the top with this idea of supremacy, with uh, now embedded in a large percentage of uh, of that race's consciousness. And it's 
if it's learned, if it's learned, here's, here's what I'm experiencing. Because I've, I've, I've had an opportunity to experience racism, not just being incarcerated, but since I've been out. Just yesterday, I, I was in uh, Kennesaw, which is north of Atlanta. And I decided I wanted to get me something to eat. So, you know, I'm pretty much vegan. And I walk into this, this health food store. And I walk over to the table. I'm masked, masked up. I have my mask on and everything. So I go into the store and I walk to this table to see some products that interested me, some health products. And there was this white lady who was standing there at the table. I walk up to the table. She looks up at me. She puts her product down. She looks at me again and she walks away. I say, and I've had so many, you know, experiences like that. I, I went into, again, this was just north of Atlanta, into a pizzeria. And I wanted a vegan pizza. So I'm going to go order me a vegan pizza. This was a couple of weeks ago. I walk in. No one in there looks like me. So I walk through the door. And this is all I got. I'm feeling weird, right? <laughs> I'm feeling out of place. And I'm like, wow, you can feel like the energy. And it was like, so I ordered my piece and, and the guy at the counter was like, would you, would you like to sit and wait? I'm like, nah, I'll go back to my automobile. So I went back outside and I said to my automobile, I waited the time, I went back in, I went back in, the same thing. You know, people like, Almost as if, are you from Venus or Mars? Or, you know, who are you from? Or why, why are you here? Because no one in that was, I was the only one. And it, it just, the feeling of that, man, it's like, uh, you don't even have to say anything. You can feel the energy. You can pick up on it. And so as I sat in my automobile, no, I didn't see another person on my ethnic group. You know, go in there. I, I don't. I don't know if, if they do or if they don't. But going back to to make this short, it, it's 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 a learned behavior. How how can we how can we help to root out the lies and the consciousness? It's it's pretty much. Prejudice, going to what Alan said, and racism here in America from my perspective, from what I've seen, from my experience, is that also is rooted in lies, is, is deeply rooted in lies and, and untruths about us, about me, about people who look like me, about my people, is deeply rooted in suppressing, suppressing people who look like me. Um, like, they don't even want us to have any contribution to civilization whatsoever. I don't care what age it's in. They say, like, you know, we are the barbaric people, savages, and they want to portray that, you know, white people have to save black people. You know, we saved you all. We civilized you all. 
You know, you you were nothing. You know, you're just beasts of the field. It's they also saw us as three fifths of a human being. You know, you're not you're not a human. <laughs> you know, and you, you were pretty much. You know, we had to come get you, enslave you, and then indoctrinate you. Um, the 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 lies of systemic racism, the lies of prejudice, the lies of racism. This is this is what I get to experience here, being an African living in America. And how do I help instead of hurt? How how do I help instead of become just just become angry and turn into the Hulk? You know, how do how do how do I help? Caroline said something, and so many others have said it, it's through education. That, that um, quote unquote white America is going to have to be educated, and then they're going to have to sit, okay, sit with what just speaking in America, what white America has done to Africans in America. They're going to have to accept. I mean, it's hard. These are, these are some hard lies that they're just, just going to have to hear. These, these are some hard truths that they're going to have to, to deal with. And, and we're, we're, at some point, we're going to have to come to the table because like Caroline said, I don't even want to call the name of standing the prior man's, but with the last four years that we just experienced, man, we were almost at the, the tipping point, the boiling point, and I think we're still there of, of a civil war right here in America between blacks and whites. And that's what was really being uh, really being instigated and, and it was really being pushed. It was really being pushed from from head and just to unlearn. If we can learn to be prejudiced, we can learn love. If we can learn to be racist, we can we can learn love. If we can learn to be hateful, we can learn love. If we can learn discrimination, we can learn love. If we can learn injustice, we can learn love and justice. And so it's just is is Consciousness, Dr. Rocco, Dr. Eric Rocco said it. He's like, you're not going to change prejudice and racism legislation. You're not going to change it in, in the court system. You're not going to change, you know, Judas, you, you, you're going to change it in consciousness. And people have to come to grips with what they are at their core, the source of who they are, their, their very beings, the essence of who they are in order to, to get through all of the garbage and other stuff that has been taught in the lies. Very powerful book. I just want to share. Lies My Teacher Told Me. That book opened my eyes. Lies My Teacher. And so I began my journey of wanting to know more about my motherland, Africa, and where I came from. And that's what I wanted to share. So thank you for having me. I love that in terms of 
if you can learn one way, you can learn another. And it is such a choice. And when, when you become aware of, you know, a train of thought that you might have heard from when you were a child or through a family or friends or something that, oh, hang on, wait, that's actually not right. And Josh, as you said, to kind of to stand up to that and to, to call it out and as uncomfortable as that can be, it's what needs to happen. You know, how, how is this meant to change if we're not calling it out? Joe, I do want to go to you because I could see that you were resonating a lot with what Casey was saying uh, in terms of prejudice versus love. And I just wanted to hear from you and from your experience of tonight's conversation too. Well, Kat, to be totally honest with you, um, the first thing I need to just get the elephant, the other elephant in the room out is that I'm the only British person here. Um, and I, from the deepest part of my heart and soul, um, and are aware completely of what my ancestors have done. And I mean that, and I'm, I'm <laughs> very emotional saying this to you guys, because I believe that acceptance is the only path to healing. Um, and as a uh, Irish stroke Asian, so I am partly Asian, I have no epicanthic fold in the corner of my eyes. So firstly, I'd just like to share that none of us are one single thing ever. I'm part Asian, part Scandinavian, part Irish. I believe I'm American as well, somewhere down the line, because I love California way too much um, to, be, uh, to not be partly American. And also, if you look at every single face on this call, part of my work and part of my, um, my mentoring is in identity and uniqueness. And I can categorically see similarities with so many of you in my eye shape. So therefore, on so many levels, this is just skin. It's just skin. And the day that children start to realize this, because it does come from education, it does come from the children, that the day that they start to realize that this is just skin, it's just skin and it's just color, we're all of a color. That, you know, this, the, the phrase colored and as a, a police officer, being asked to identify and put someone in a category of what color were they? I, it used to make my absolute skin crawl doing that. What, how, how, do, how am I in a position to put someone in a color and a, and a, a, a class or a caste as you, get, as you said, Gerrit? And these are all questions I had and it's one of the reasons I struggled to be a police officer because it was putting people in boxes and we're not. There's only one box that we all fit in and that's human. We are simply human. That's all we all are. And I believe in reincarnation. And I believe I've had about 685 lives. <laughs> so I actually believe that I have been all around the world. I've, I have spent many years in Africa, in Gambia. I believe I'm African. I believe the root of us is all African. So I believe, Casey, I'm your sister. Um, you know, so questioning and encourage children to question where where they really come from and when we start like you're doing josh your amazing work in spirituality when we start questioning what spirituality is 
it comes down to the core of our souls and our souls and our journeys. And we've all had journeys through various colors, shapes, men, male, female, gender. And when we bring ourselves to a moment of truly tuning to who we are, we allow ourselves to recognize that. And I think meditation is so important. Your work, Josh, is so important. Therese, I know your meditation is part of your work. Um, and also the other thing I'd like to just mention is where do your, where do your values come from? And um, we've, we've talked about this and we've covered so many incredible subjects today. But I would ask anyone to question where their values come from. Because so many, my, part of my family are phenomenally racist. And I'm not just talking colour, I'm talking just completely, horribly, disgustingly, in my opinion, British to the core of the most embarrassing and, and horrid um, that the, the Britishness is. So I'm talking racist to Europeans, even though I'm a European British. So that is what I have to recognize and accept as part of my ancestry and my head, where I've come from. But I started to question that from the minute I could. Um, and everyone must question where their values come from. And I ditched those values that I learned and I got rid of them and I questioned them. And the other thing I'd like to bring back to you, Alan, your beautiful story about your daughter, which completely just, just horrified me as a mum of two daughters. Um, but what I'd also like to ask, and this is one thing I really learned as a police officer and as um, a person who helps a lot of women become into leadership, and a lot of, I have to help a lot of women who have suffered sexism, which is the closest I can imagine racism to. This the nearest I'm ever going to get, really, of understanding how it feels to be attacked in a racist way. But the thing I'd like to ask everyone to do is really own their space and question for others. Is to stand up like that woman did at the front of the queue and stood up for you and your daughter and said, you, this girl needs helping. This girl needs to be seen. So she was supporting you. And I feel we've all got a duty and an obligation to support each other when we experience and see any form of racism or prejudice. We, can, we must support each other. And that, I feel, is another very big step to changing what, where we've come from and to then moving forward. Joe, I don't think I expected any of that from you and that was so beautiful. Um, one, for speaking to us about your ancestry as well, uh, which was really powerful and also uh, just about the role we all have and in what we need to do to stand up for one another. So that was beautiful. Thank you. Dr. Favarden, we have you to join us and you have such a beautiful message and um, I'd love for you to share about the message and what you actually stand for and how that ties in with really what we are here about. I mean, there's so much, what we've really got out of this is that it is all about education. It's about coming together. It's about letting go of the fear. It's really about rewriting the story and understanding that we all bleed the same. So the Joe, with what you were saying, it is just skin. We all bleed red. So there is no difference in where we are and in who our creator is. But Dr. Varden, please share with us um, anything you'd like to share about this evening 
and also about your amazing work because I think the work you're doing just is a, is a way forward and that's really where we want to take this next piece of the conversation is how do we move forward. Thank you, Teresa. I'm really blessed by each one of you, seriously. Um, and I wasn't able to sit about an hour ago because of the exhaustion and the accent I had. Right now, I'm sitting here energized and honored and everyone have actually touched me to the core. Thank you for that. Very quickly, I just uh, have to uh, mention a few dot points so that I don't put you guys to sleep. Uh, I give you a story about the carpet snake in air. Air is in Berwickenshire, south of Townsville, 100 kilometers. And in year 2001, my uh, Aboriginal brother, uh, Eddie Smallwood, approached me, said that we have got here a graveyard of an, our ancestors' bones. <clears throat> and uh, it is buried in a park by the main road, by the Bruce Highway. And then all we got there is some couple of flat stones. And it's very much being disrespected by so many people because next across the Basically, the little small road is, is a toilet as well. So what can you do to bring the recognition to this? I said, what is this burial site? Why is it there? He said that, look, you know, these are the bones that we recovered from uh, Germany and, and from England. They are the bones of our ancestors, my granddads. And I said, how did they end up there? He said that in, in their times, they're being, they were being hunted. They were being hunted like kangaroo. And then their heads and the skull was being sent to the scientists in Europe to study where they fit into the chain of the evolution because they know that they are not human. They basically, that was the story. They knew that they were unhuman, but they wanted to know where would they fit between the apes and humans by getting the skulls. And then the rest of the body was sold as souvenir. And uh, the same way that they sell the kangaroo hands or for scratching the back and stuff, they happen in Queensland, <laughs> George can sell that. They also sold the uh, hands and the parts of the Aboriginal people that they were hunted and cut in pieces and dried. So they ended up in museums in Europe uh, after being used or whatever they had to do with them. And then we, through DNA testing and uh, some government support, uh, this is Eddie Smallwood talking, we were able to to uh, collect them back and actually bring them here. And now we want to basically have a dignified place of barrier for them. But there is basically, we have got this place of, you know, piece of land in the park called Plantation Park. And, and then the people don't even recognize how important it is. I said, okay, what do you want me to do? He said, I want you to make our totems there. I said, okay, what is a totem, brother? He said, it's carpet snake, okay. So we went there and we collected the uh, raised fund. Uh, it was about $25,000 that was hardly enough for the steel and concrete for a 61 meters tall curling around and the four and a half meters high fully cemented and steel structure uh, with the head raising above the graveyard. When I started building that, I knew that there is not money into it. So I had to even put some of my own money and time for free five months of the summer and at that time, interestingly, people in the Vertican, they used to pick on me, you bloody refugee, you Arab, go back where you come from while I was digging hole around this, you know, park to make the footings and stuff. And then the Aboriginal people would tell, tell me that, you know, we didn't know that you also get name calling. I said, oh, I've got plenty of names. I'll get to, I'll tell you the stories about what I'm being called. But don't worry, 
And then at that time, the Burlington Shire was suffering very severe economic uh, uh, meltdown due to the uh, drop in the sugar price. And the factories, uh, the cane uh, fact, uh, farmers, everybody was going broke. So in a matter of few months, the, 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 the carpet snake was built, constructed, painted, ready, standing tall. Buses of tourists stopped, started coming from the Sydney. This place flourished. Right now, the Juru people and Eddie uh, Smallwood's mob that they are Bindals and the Jurus uh, stretching from Townsville to Bowen, they are prospering with that one single uh, structure that uh, I was honored to be made there. And I was uh, the only Aboriginal, non-Aboriginal artist who was honored to do Aboriginal art and then other Aboriginal artists that came and did actually cover painting. After 22 years, 20, sorry, 20 years, they're still standing tall, survived two major floods. And then the whole community now rallies around this as a place where the tourists should come. The local government, the Chamber of Commerce, everybody takes their hat off to the Aboriginal people for having this thing over there because every tourist bus coming from the south to the north before getting to Townsville, they make sure to stop over there and they say hello, but they will force them to say uh, Wallamuli, that's the Aboriginal word for the greetings. So now in this story, I just wanted to tell you the tragedy that Aboriginal people have been through for most part is untold. We have never even touched the surface of knowing what has happened to these people. They aren't actually retrieving the cuts and pieces of the parental skeletons from the overseas museums, for God's sake, and they don't have a proper community support to give them a proper barrier and decent place. So this is just, we leave the story over there. And, and I came to Australia from Iran and Iran was a country where I was treated as an outcast, an outcast meaning that I was untouchable because I was from a Baha'i family living in a place which was social, low socioeconomic standard, highly religious, and they wouldn't even allow their kids to touch me. If any kids came and played with me, they would yell at the kid, don't play with those the dirty Baha'is and the dog Baha'is. I used to be called dog Baha'is. I was only six years old and they would take the kids home and bath them, wash them so that they have touched me. And I was used to be kicked out of a school, demoted from a school, bullied and everything. But when I left my country, I don't want to go through so much details. I went to India and that country gave me a, a sort of a heaven because nobody bothered about my religion. I loved that. I didn't have any protection, any social security, any austerity, no, nothing. I used to paint and survive. And I ended up in the arts college setting up my own exhibition, but I was happy to just be left alone. But it wasn't that easy. My brother Grish has given me a picture of India. Everybody would like to know what is your religion. You can't say I'm, I don't have any religion. Or, and if you just say the wrong religion, then you are in the wrong place. And you're pretty much, you know what happens anyway. I used to say namaste to the Hindus, I say Arabas, to the Muslims, mm -hmm. and I used to find out exactly what jat, meaning that what caste they are from, and then how to I'm going to be behave, what would I eat or not eat, and that's how I survived 10 years in India by adaptation. But I was happy there till I became a stateless, and I had to come here with my wife and a small kid, which was, who was one year old at that time. And all of a sudden I realized that I'm here a racial category. Over there, I was just a foreigner 
they used to call me the Ingris Blatkun, you know, the, the uh, Ingris, uh, you know, that means you're the bloody British dirty blood. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but, but here, I was all of a sudden, at the point of arrival to the airport, I became an immediately stern suspect. So I had this black leather jacket, young with the mustache, dark hair. It wasn't like this. And then everybody, you know, I took about three hours in, in, in the airport to search everything that I had, even tested whether there are drugs or not. And here was my welcome to Australia. And then I tried not to see race category. I tried to adopt my, uh, my brother Casey's approach and try to do what I can without getting the bad story. But then I give you another quick story so that these stories, they add up and give you a picture that how complex it can be or how simple. We lived in Townsville, the capital of the Australian racism. And I hired, uh, uh, we were hiring a, a place in the, in, the, in, the, in the suburb where it was a well-to-do, uh, you know, middle, middle class suburb. One day my daughter, Sepita, who was about, who was about four years old, five years old, came crying home, it was weekend that I've seen the, the neighbors coming everywhere, calling everybody for a birthday party next door to us. But when they came to us, uh, they didn't come to our room, our, our, our place, and they just passed. And, and they talked among each other that they will not be invited. They are not basically. And then she was questioning why we are not being invited to this house farming and some birthday party next door that everybody's being invited. She was crying very bad and she was trying to make a sense of it, whose fault is it that I, she was very basically jolly, very friendly. And uh, I had to explain to her that, look, you know, it's okay, you know, they don't see us as one of them, but it wasn't that easy. But anyway, when, when I sum up these few snapshots I gave you, yep, I had my Indian experience, the Indian experience, the Australian experience, you all know well, then here is Aboriginal land and I gave you the first story anyway. What I find is that division and disunity is a strategy to control no matter where you live. Somehow somebody wants to divide you based whatever they can find amongst you. If it is not colorful skin, it is religion. If it is not religion, it is a caste. If it is not a caste, they will find something. To divide people and to be able to pay, to divert their energy and attention on hating each other or defending each other while they're digging into the ground, while they're busy about counting the profit at the top end. Capital and the wealth has got no race. And now I give you, the reason that I say that is this, that yes, supremacy is a few white men's dream, but is that just the only ones that they really dream of supremacy? Have you been to Japan to see how they deal with the people of different color? Do you think ever India will have a prime minister from the Shudra caste? Do you think in Iran ever they will have a prime minister who is from Afghan origin? Do you think China will allow <laughs> anybody who is not part of their core party within their, you know, what I'm talking about? Then you go back now, retrieve back and go back to US now. Hello, we have had a president over there from Afro-American you know, background, right? Can I say that? Yeah. You have got Oprah over there. 
we have got so much over there that it are still a dream to come true to many other nations. I'm not saying there's no racism. Don't get me that. I'm saying we got to a little bit look deeper into the divisions that they are erected in before our eyes. And we usually miss the main game because I've got you to worry about because of your color of skin. I'm better than you. You think you're better than somebody else or basically you are the uh, bad guy, I'm the good guy or the vice versa. It doesn't matter really. Wherever, whenever you look any country in the world, they have got the similar strategy. They create imaginary enemies. They fight with imaginary enemies, but at the top end, they work together for the resources picking up. And Aboriginal people in Australia, I don't want to talk about them, but they have been a great victim. Right now in Townsville, every story is about criminalization of the young Aboriginal people. Right? You can't stand up in, in, in Townsville and in, in the defense of young Aboriginal people to say anything before you will be outcast in Townsville. Just try that for God's sake, right today you're talking about it. And our prisons, our detention centers in Townsville have been 90% filled with Aboriginal people, First Islander people, since three, four decades ago. And right now, the only solution that they are proposing for, for dealing with the youth crime, which is presumably only Aboriginal youth crime or First Islander youth crime, is to create more prison, make more prison. They're all privately owned, run. That is the only solution that our wise men have. Yes, we have reached to the moon, correct? But no, I want to go further back down there. We haven't reached our own heart to understand why do we do what do we do? What is it that makes us to believe and be active or say something on something without, without even realizing that I may not even own it. It's not even my thing I'm saying. People pick up ideas and talk on them, act on them because of the headline on newspaper, for God's sake. They haven't studied the history. They haven't studied the, the psychology. They haven't studied anything. They haven't even studied their own heart. So what am I saying is here that self-inquiry and self-knowledge is the prime knowledge. We can know a lot about maths and the science and the psychology and neurology. But if I don't know who is inside me and how I've become... A, a, a product of my social conditioning and parental teaching and my, my, my upbringing, my school. If, if I don't accept that, if I don't own up to that social conditioning and try to look at myself as one who can be conditioned indifferently as uh, Casey mentioned, yes, I can be reconditioned. I can re-educate myself. If I don't try that myself, nobody in the world can do that to me. I'm just very quickly, I want to go on to couple of other points is that, yes, Australia has a culture, Josh, you know, I'm sorry if you're saying that you're confused and you, you don't know basically about this. Yes, I, I think that Australia has the best culture, but the Australian culture, not the colonial culture. We have a colonial narrative, but we have also an Australian narrative. If you look back at our history, you see that this was the country that gave voting right to women 15 years before English did. This was a country that in 1904, the first country in the world that we came up with the social security system where even Russia wasn't, you know, communist. The Australian history 
is actually a very interesting one to study. Ned Kelly rose from this ground, right? We have a song which was a runner-up to our national anthem, Waltzing Matilda, which everybody thinks the song of a thief. It is a song of resistance, independence. Come a Waltzing Matilda with me. Go and study that. See, we have got a marvelous tradition. The first time ever industrial relations took but actually formed up was in Australia, on Australia, even before our federation, our labor force here was powerful enough to sit down in front of the owner of the capital and negotiate terms on tables. And that is how the rest of the world got the industrial relations. Our football, our AFL is born out of Marngroon Mar Mar Aboriginal game, which was played by Aboriginal people, and they actually learned it from the Aboriginal people, and they turned it out to AFL. If you go back and look at that, you see that we have a proud history of, of a fusion as a young people, recognition of Aboriginal people, and, and, and moving on with and then we have a white Australia policy, we have a federation which was conned on us by British colonial narrative, and then we have got migration, then we got multiple narratives. At the end of the day, Australia is the land where, if we look at it, is a land of fair go, and everybody is happy with that fair go, if it is a fair go, if it is born out of this place, decided by us, and, and implemented by us, and Aboriginal people where at the beginning of the, now that's a different topic, I don't want to go to it, but my understanding of Australian culture is that there is a lot there we can still upheld and use that to bring people together. Say, look, we are happy with this, right? These are born out of here. These values that we talk about, they didn't come from England. They are not part of colonial narrative. Our industrial relation, our social security, our voting system that we, we gave the voting right to the woman. What actually came from there was the so-called white Australia policy, meaning that English was the only language of the migration at the 1901, which was reversed by Australians decades later. So everything which came out of Australia is our culture. Everything which came from overseas, you question that if it is not, you take it, if not, leave it. But we don't have that, that unity. We don't have that unison of thoughts. We keep actually resisting, we keep conflicting, we keep fighting for what is good for me or my group. And then at the end of the day, we miss out on a lot of good stuff. And what I want to only add to this is this, that if we encourage people to question their belief, I think that a few of you mentioned that, uh, and uh, Joe also mentioned it at the end, if we encourage people to question, why do you believe what you believe? And we ask them, what is the social conditioning doing to you? And we teach them, look, you know, 99% of our actions are reflex. We are reflex acting to what media puts us. Please, when you see that, when you, when you hear that, do not exclude anything that you followed. Everything which is given to us is subconsciously affecting us in reacting, whether it's for the election, whether it is for, for locking or dislocking, whether it is for commerce or buying or, or not buying. So we got to start going back to meditation. I'm happy that few of you are actually followers of Tolan. Meditation doesn't mean that I sit quiet. Meditation means that I switch off all those provocations that coming external, whether from my childhood or from my DNA or from media. If I am able to do that for 10 minutes, and within that 10 minutes, I open a clean and, and, and 
and centered a space in my heart where everybody is welcome and everybody is okay. When I say everybody, I truly mean everybody. If I can do that, I think then I can expect other people to do that. But I can't have a, a little book and go around there and bash it on people. I need to do that. <laughs> I have a question for uh, Dr. Farber then. When are you running for prime minister? Because <laughs> you've got my vote. You have my vote. <laughs> yeah, and that's one thing that I have always thought about, not a place where we can't go there because our politics, unfortunately, has lost it. And we need to start from grassroots and we need to start empower people to act like a prime minister, but as an individual. I don't have to wait to be prime minister. Dwayne is my prime minister. You are my prime minister. You know, Reverend Casey is my prime minister. Josh is my, is my prime minister. I don't need to be a prime minister, but I need to feel responsible. And also I need to act as wise as I can. And I don't need anybody's work, but the worth of myself to myself and I want to sleep. Oh, Favarin. <laughs> I feel like calling you Papa. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you for, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. For your passion, for your knowledge, for your delivery, for opening us to me, especially to new ways of looking at things. And thank you for that new perspective of, of Australian culture for myself as well. So there is, you know, there has been in the past for me um, that shame and that guilt. And we've touched on that tonight. And I just want to say a huge thank you to every one of you for bringing what you have to tonight's conversation. It has been extremely educational, thought-provoking, heart-lifting. Thank you so much. I'm going to show it, throw it a tea because I know that you would be feeling quite electrified as, as I am. <laughs> yeah, look, I am so grateful to each one of you. I, we just threw out the invitation and it was an open forum. There was no real platform to what was going to be discussed except for really touching on these core subjects and having this collective conversation. So to each one of you, I am incredibly grateful for the honesty that was shared. And I think too, for us owning our own history, owning our own reason why we're here, um, we've all got our own story, but when we share from that heart space, and I think what I take away from this conversation is that each one of you have come from that space of love and have come from that space of wanting to just to be able to educate and to be able to share, but from that place of love. And I think if we can take into our own individual words now, um, this healing that we feel we want to start to share through this language and through these open discussions and through getting on board with just helping others also undo what they feel is part of their own shame and open the narrative, open the discussion, learn. Dr. Favarden, you just taught me so much about my own Australian history that I wasn't even aware of. And I'm like, right, I'm going to go back to that. And I think that's the beauty here is that when we have such open discussions with so many people, it just leaves so much more for us to learn and to share and to find that path back to being one.
and I appreciate and love every one of you. And the thing is, when we can share and we can share from such a space and we open the conversations and we allow, particularly Kat and Josh, when we allow our own brothers and sisters know that, hey, we're open to learning and to sharing, then what we do is we close the gap and we start the healing. Thank you. Teresa, Teresa, I, can I just, can I, so can I just say one thing before we continue, before we wrap up and really, really quick, because I'm conscious of time as well. If you replace the word racism with sexism, and Joe mentioned this earlier, the journey's the same. The history's the same. The battle's the same. It still exists. Um, I'm working on a program um, at the moment called Making Small Girls Tall. The education starts from in your kids, um, and I've seen it through the programs I work with primary schools and just throwing a ball, you know. So if we're going to go through this healing process in education, we educate on uplifting everybody. It's not just a piece about racism. It's about how do you uplift everybody? Um, you know, there's six of, us, six of us in this room that know nothing about the other four and how, what it's like to walk in the shoes of a female, to be belittled, to be spoken down to when you speak up, to be emotional because you're speaking up, to be told to be quiet because you speak up, uh, all those types of things as well. So even though there's this journey of racism, um, you know, for me, the second part of my video was about um, prejudice, true prejudice, um, and how we uplift everybody.